Hello and welcome to Short Wonder, a podcast showcasing short fiction and poetry by contemporary writers from around the world. Dan Horrigan is a writer and director currently based in Liverpool. With MAs in theatre and dramatic writing, he's as prolific on screen as he is off, frequently shifting from writer to director and back again, or taking time away from his production company to focus on literary fiction. His short film credits include Better Angels, Skin Jacker and Devotion. His short story, A Kiss from Back Home, is read by Annabelle Wright. I wanted to kiss you. I did. When you said we were going. But this town? These people? No. I want to hold you and kiss you when we're far away. When we can be who we really want to be. None of my pieces added up in this town. They only cut me up like razor-beak vultures on curb corners. But you don't see the scars. You see me. That's why I bought a ticket. That's why I packed my bag. Because I know. I know what you see. But it won't be real until we're far away. That's when our lives can begin. We set off. Just an old bag with a change of clothes and a tenner between us. We didn't look out the window. We just sat there smiling at each other, drinking Strongbow. The train was empty all the way. We joked about how nobody gets out, but we've managed, done it, slipped the net, evaded capture. We were going to be by the sea to take in the brine. And that's what we did. As soon as we got there, we bought chips, we drank Strongbow, we sat by the water. We got talking to some locals. You told them our story. Tried to stop you. Don't know why. I was suspicious. I shouldn't have been. They listened. They invited us back. They said we could crash as long as we liked. They said they'd done the same. Come here to be free. To start at last. In a place where nobody would make them feel ashamed of who and what they wanted. That's when I got it. They weren't men. They were women. I asked them and they said they were women living as men. Something about that felt right. They told us we were a pair of circles in a world made for squares, and he would fit in. We laughed and shared our chips. And they got us jobs. I served fish and chips all day. You went to work in a club. I was worried. You were the glamour and not old enough to be there. Looking back, it made sense. They took a shine to you. I think your shape might have been more advantageous. I was always on the large side. Not especially tall, but doughy, like pastry. That's what my mum used to say. I looked doughy, but I'd never be made. I should have known splitting us up was a sign. But they were so nice, and things were going so well. I would finish at the chippy, amazingly, with money to spend. So why not spend it at the club? Only I couldn't get in, could I? They wouldn't let me in. You could get in, but not me. I'd lie in bed waiting for you to get back. My body aching. Aching because we had yet to touch. To touch in the way we'd run away to. I'd lie in bed aching. And you wouldn't come back 
You spent entire nights away, and when you were back you drank into the morning with the women who lived like men. I'd walk past you asleep on the sofa on the way to work. Sometimes I thought you might be dead, and I can see now it wasn't you who was dead. It was me. I had no way to say how much I missed you. Even though we had done what we had set out to do, I was back in the past. I had a head full of the past. It made me feel hollow. I took to waiting outside the club, around the side of the bins. I was looking for a way in. I thought if I could just get in the once, you'd make it possible for me to stay. I was hiding in the trash like the trash I am. That's when I saw you. You walked out the exit with a man. You sold him something. He put it in his mouth and he put your hands down his pants and you gently moved it around and the man started to murmur and he started to moan and I wanted to scream. But I just sunk into the trash. I stayed there all night and went back to work the next morning. The smell of the grease masked the smell of the trash. But I was finished. That night, I spoke to our hosts. I told them I wanted to work at the club that I knew what you were doing and wanted in on it. They took me seriously. Have you ever tried it? I said I'd done lots of things that meant they could trust me. It was bullshit. The closest I'd been to anything like that was a sherbet dib-dab. They must have had their doubts because they took out a pill and told me to take it. I asked for a glass of water. They gave me a glass and I took the pill. Then we sat there talking for about twenty minutes. They told me only the really good-looking ones get the best jobs, but they might be able to sort something. I told them I only wanted to be near you, that I'd do anything to be near you. They asked me how I felt, and I realised something should be happening, but it wasn't. I felt absolutely normal. But I started babbling, streaming how much I loved them, their kindness, and how much I loved you, your kindness, and how much I would do anything for them and you, you and them, and how the world made sense if you could get into the garden. If you could get back to the garden, there couldn't be a fall. If you could put the apple back, it would all be all right. But you had to vomit the apple because we'd eaten it. And that's where the trouble began. And they took me to their car and we drove. For a very long time we drove and they dropped me off and they drove away and everything was so beautiful the way the gas station glimmered in the neon light, the sweet smell of petrol like an oasis in a concrete wasteland. The lights of the diner had me in raptures. Your hands were all over me, finally. This was forever. And then I awoke. It was dark and cold. All I could hear was the sound of distant traffic, and I realised we'd run away to touch each other but you never touched me. And all that could reach me was this glacial chill swept down from the north, our home blowing a kiss. And oh, how it cut. Wow. Okay, that was lovely. Um, Dan Horrigan, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. And thank you so much for joining us um, on the podcast. Thank you, Dan. It's really good to be here. And uh, what a lovely recording of the story. Uh, really well read and uh, very moving. When, 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 I, when I heard it back, um, it surprised me, which is which is always 
one of those things as a writer um that you that you encounter from time to time where your own work surprises you because somebody's interpretations are so uh spot on in 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 ways that that you might not always have seen but uh but hoped were there and then it's fulfilled so i'm really really great that you um that you got such a, an accomplished actress to read that she's done a sterling job i think i mean i have to say i've, I've listened to it a few times since and um yeah i think she's she's definitely um picked out what we thought was in there and also found some some a, a new vibe that was uh yet to be yeah. discovered i think yeah yeah she's done ever so well uh and it's funny because that story that story sometimes feels to me uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this to myself. I was thinking, where was I when I was writing this story? Am I the narrator? Am I the person being narrated to? And, and who is that person? And, um, and and those questions, I think probably at the time when I was writing it, I, I definitely had a fixed idea. But now it's got to the point where I feel myself moving around in relation to the story, seeing it through the protagonist's eyes and then on the receiving end of of their you know, heartbreak and thinking I am the person who betrayed them when I when I took back. I think that reading moved me around as the writer and I became somebody experiencing the story through different aspects of it, which is just such a wonderful thing when that happens. Yeah, fantastic. And and actually, uh, when I've listened to it, and uh, well, I mean, when I first read it, I think I, 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 I've found this, but certainly from listening to it and reading some of your other short stories as well, there's a real... Um, there's a, there's a kind of quietness in there, but sometimes it's there's kind of an angry melancholy that that comes across as well. It, is that what you were looking for in the story? And you mentioned about being the protagonist, and not how did how did this story come about? Well, that's a really good question. I remember that it came about through a conversation, and uh, it was a dare. Um, and being a writer, I, I wrote about it rather than doing uh-huh. it. Um, but the, the dare was, and it was a serious question. We were talking about it, and you know, my friend said to me, "Would you run away for love? Would wow. you run? Would you, yeah." And it was such a great question. And I thought, "Gosh, that question really moved me." And I thought, "I have to do something with that because the way it was said to me, I could see, you know, I could see she was very much of the opinion I would run away for love. I would do that." And uh, I thought to myself, "Yes, I'd run away for love, but would I be able to get back again?" I thought, where would yeah. love, where would, yeah, where would love leave me um, if I ran away for it? And uh, I think there is a melancholy disposition to the story because I think that this person is vulnerable and yet very brave and has tried to change their life. And of course, life doesn't always reward bravery. Um, and they've been left in this situation. But I think, I mean, you know, what comes next for them? I think there's a way back because they've shown real insight and determination to what's happened to them. It's not as if, I mean, it's an awakening story in many ways, I think as well, but it's not, it's not as if they don't know how they've ended up there. I think they've got enough smarts to survive. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I loved about it as well is there's some real, uh, there's a real sense of Britishness um, to it. So, you know, the, the strong bow and the, and the chips and they're the going down to the seaside. It, it, is this that sort of sense of place in the story? Is that something that, that you, you look for? I mean, uh, you're, you're a director as well. So I'd imagine yeah. that, that this, this, this sense of where things happen is, is crucial. It was impressionistic because I knew that the, the aspects of things that give it a sense of location or root it in a certain reality were to do with the fact that 
writing the story, I didn't know much about who they were. And I felt like they were leaving me clues. And um, I think that those things just appeared and um, and just became uh, part of the fabric of their reality. They drink Strongbow. They want to run away to the seaside. They have this idea that they're going to sit next to the water and eat chips, probably because it's something they've never done before. And they just have this idea. They want to do it and fulfill it. Um, and because... Because yeah, the, the 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 protagonist is a mystery to me. They're um, they're, they're they're someone I care deeply about, and their journey. That's what I'm talking about when I'm in different places, when they're relating it to me, or when I have to be on the receiving end of their pain, or when I have to tell their story. I'm always moving about, trying to be the conduit between their story, their voice, and how that's expressed. So it's impressionistic in certain regards and their clues that they leave for me mm-hmm. to find okay and, and i love what you said earlier actually about um life not always rewarding bravery because actually in this story and in others of yours there's, there's often i mean homelessness and and uh, not necessarily overt violence but a, a kind of sense of violence in the background and unrequited love this, this seems to to crop up in in your writing quite a lot is this do you deliberately go out to explore this this territory? It seems fundamental because we're creatures who need, we need love and we need security and we need material comfort and we need sustenance. And these are fundamental facets. So I suppose if you disrupt those or if they're threatened, then you have a dramatic situation. You have a drama because people have to take action to redress that if somebody if somebody's going to take something away from you you have to fight uh to prevent it or to get it back and i think that love is as fundamental as it gets and there isn't there isn't much that we wouldn't you know for true for true love there isn't much that we wouldn't be prepared to risk and those just seem to be the the fabric of the characters um and in uh, a kiss from back home they're very um, they're, they're very driven by love because I think they've never they, I I personally think with that character I could be wrong and somebody else might come along and show me something different but I think they've never been given love but they know how to give it and I think that they're knowing how to give it because it's not looked after is what gets them in trouble so those are the fundamental. Mm. I, I get a, I got a real sense that it, it's interesting because the, the that sort of need for love or that quest for love mm. um is is also the destroyer in this as well isn't it because that that, yeah. that kind of that sort of you know breaks up their relationship as as much as brings them together yeah I, I think I think that the contrasts are there because the opportunity for things to go well is apparent in the story they meet they meet people when they get there they meet people who tell them all the right things and who in some ways present a life they could attain and live but then of course it's not what it appears and there's a sort of underbelly to that that pulls both of them down but one of them in particular um and leaves them on the wrong side of of um of 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 the luck i suppose but yes i think you're right um so what's your um I'm interested to know what your writing process is. How do you how do you start, and and, and do you have a, a kind of routine to to writing, or, or how do you work? It, yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how do you do it? 
you do. Uh, I think I think because the work is different, a lot of it is different. It can be for different projects, different voices. Uh, it can be for different media. Um, but essentially, it starts from the same place. So it starts from a feeling and an intuition. And you have to know how to protect that feeling. And it's a bit like trying to convince a fox to follow you in that respect. Uh-huh. It's, it's a creature that has its own wits and has its own sense of cunning and doesn't trust you. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. trust Sometimes yeah. it just doesn't trust me. So I have to make friends with the fox and convince it that I'm the right person uh, to get that story. <laughs> to yeah. get that story out yeah. and actually everyone everyone i know myself included who not just writing but really any creative pursuit has that same sense of of this other kind of creature which yes. is the, the, you know, the, the, the the writing or the the, the end product which they're trying to c- catch or tame or or cajole yes. or um <laughs> and, you know and i think actually the best work does come isn't it where you don't force it you have to build a relationship with it and let it happen yeah, I think there are I think there are things to be said for that. And of course you can have a routine um although routines get disrupted, but there has to be I like to find a clear in when I'm sitting down to write, there has to be a moment where I say this is what I'm doing. I have to have taken care of I have to ring fence it. So I have to have taken care of anything that might break that moment because um it's so important that you have in your life a moment where you can just sit down if i need to write then i write but having said that equally i'm happy to take a notebook out and a pen and just sit in a noisy place and scribble Uh um it depends where i am in the process um so if i'm sitting down for a first draft i'll probably need a good few weeks of no interruptions and silence and then i get on with it and then yeah it depends but you have to whatever works for you works for you your routine is really important um but i just need that uninterrupted moment between whatever's been going on before and what has to happen next with the writing if i can if i can get that then the water flows yeah so which other writers or or creatives of any type um inspire you i mean there have been gosh i mean there are i mean nothing stops inspiring if you are if you're ready to look and to listen around you ordinary people can inspire you Mm. and you know people who you wouldn't necessarily look up to and say you guys are the you know the paragons of of the art world or this out or the other but equally i would say in terms of in terms of where i'm at I would say music going going back I would say it would be bands mm-hmm. I would say the idea that you could express something um that had a melody and lyrics and you could say something urgent and vital and important so I mean going right the way back the first bands that I I thought were really important um one of them would be the Levelers um they had a completely um unashamed direct um urgency and it was backed up with a kind of punky, folky vibe. And that really sounded very different to anything mainstream. But having experienced also the 80s, having grown up in the 80s, um, 80s pop music just seemed to come from another planet. I think if you, if you were living in an ordinary world where uh, you would, you know, you, you would see a United Colors of Benetton advert and you would think, but that must be the real world. 
and I'm living I'm living in a world that isn't real because they have all the best clothes. So they they, they have they have people from all over the world, and uh, I've got to, I've got to find the best clothes and be with people from all over the world. Yeah. I think I don't know if that answers the question about what what is what inspires me is the is is the thoughts you get from the from the music and the messages that other people put out there. I mean, eighties pop music. You know, the first time I heard Madonna sing. Uh, I was about what four years old, and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. It just sounded so mysterious, and that kind of t- that kind of turned on a switch because you then start to think, ah, oh, so you can access completely different feelings and worlds depending on how you put something together and how it sounds and all of those kind of things. And I was really interested in the idea of doing that through uh, writing because I felt. I, for, for whatever reason, the music was always so important to me, but I always felt that it was the voice and the uh, message that made that transformation in other people possible. So that was, you know, I loved pop music as a kid. There's your answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, so I never thought we'd be talking about Madonna today. That was not <laughs> no, on my, not on my no, list of expectations. <laughs> um, so, so I mean, obviously you're you're a director as well. So. Is is there a, relation, a relationship between those two things when you're, you know, do you, do you jump from one to the other? As, you know, we talked about this idea of, of creativity not necessarily being about form, more about the, the kind of message contained within it. Do you, do you find that's why you direct and write? I, I just find I just find it comes from the same place, um, that it's about telling a story. And sometimes you organise the elements of telling a story um, in a different way. So if I'm sitting down to write, it's a very sort of solitary process where it's myself and the page and what needs to happen. And when I'm directing, I'm still concerned with telling a story, but I have many more resources. And so there are many more opportunities to collaborate and there are many other ways to get that story out, but, um, and, and, and formed, you know, and, and ready for an audience. Um, I think I just have two different, uh, approaches but they come from the same place if that makes sense the need to tell a story and the need for people to hear that story and to share in that story and sometimes I'm working in a different way with a group of people I collaborate with and other times I get time to myself with just me whatever that fox is doing and the page <laughs> yeah yeah well and actually I I spoke with um uh, when I spoke with Naomi Wood in our previous episode, and actually we talked about something very similar, which is, I mean, she works across a whole range of disciplines uh, yes. as, as, an, as an aerialist and a, and a poet and a writer. And um, yes. and I think there's that similar idea, which is that it's all kind of the same stuff. It's just what the tools are that you pick up to to work yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, that that would make sense. I mean, I, I would think I would think of them as yeah as aspects. Um, so for example, there might be a time where I need to take a break from writing and I just need to be immersed in other people's ideas and possibilities as well as my own. And I really value that, um, alchemy or that synthesis. Um, and of course, when you're working with actors, uh, you have a certain, um, uh, insight that you would not be able to find without them. Um, Uh so it's necessarily a question of sort of sitting down and saying well this is wrong and that is right and this is wrong and that is right it's more of a question of um it's more of a question of merging the thing together so especially if you're directing your own work 
Um, you you trust their imagination, you trust your own, and you believe that through colliding those things, you can find something that neither of you would have been able to find without that. And that's really exciting. That's that's when you start to discover the possibilities of working with other people in collaboration. Um, and that, you know, on, on the page, um, I'm very, I, I, I used to, Back when I first started writing, I used to think, I used to think this is exactly as it should be when I would write. And I would believe that is the only way it could be. Mm-hmm. And I was very particular about it. But as I got older, I realized that although I understood more, I knew less. And so the idea of possibility and interpretation and nuance and discovery, like I was saying about the reading earlier, that I intuited that those things were there and I hoped they were there. And when they're fulfilled by somebody else coming into the mix, it's just an incredible experience. So I think, you know, the solitary side of me needs to be there with the page, but the other side, I guess the extroverted side has to then start mixing with other people and trying to pull it all together and find what it could be in collaboration. Yeah, which actually brings us very nicely back to where we started in terms of Annabelle's treatment of of this story. It's exactly that process of expansion, isn't it, away from, mm. from where things start. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you if you were a, a lone creative or a team player, but I feel like you've kind of answered that in terms of you're, you're probably a bit of both. Yeah, I need to be both. And I think that I have definitely uh, found my rhythm in terms of, obviously, at the moment, um, I, I'm, I'm much more, um, I'm much more making use of the time that I have to write um, as much as I possibly can. But I am collaborating uh, with musicians at the moment. Mm-hmm. So there is an element of spoken word and music and that collaboration has been really fulfilling. But it is, it is very true that um, I would say after I've directed a play and it's gone out to the public, I need a good few months of just recharging, being myself, connecting to my family and friends and not being, um, not being, you know, um, on the other side of things. And I need that, you know, solitude as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about other projects and, um, externalizing things, I, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about this living, is it living record or living records? It's living record. And it okay. is a, a theatre company, um, based in Brighton, uh, run by Ross Drury. And they have, uh, in, in a genius move, um, created an online uh, digital theatre festival called the Living Record Festival. Okay. And they have, yeah, it's lovely. They, they have uh, over 40 different theatre companies who have created digital work for the festival, which you can access at the Living Record Festival. Uh, you just type that in living record festival and you then have access uh, to select from over 40 different theatre companies with a real constellation of different work and yeah. they, they they asked us to to join so we have we have our work on there with covert firmament um and we have i think 26 pieces available um and this is uh, your production company is it yes that's right yeah. that's right yeah, COVID yeah they're, the, they're, they're the digital arm of my production company and uh and and it's just been incredible to join in i, I would urge anybody who who needs to reconnect with theatre and maybe uh consider taking a, a few days off netflix <laughs> <laughs> yeah just somewhere different. Somewhere different yes yeah. that's right um so so it's interesting you mentioning about you know taking this sort of dramatic work into the kind of digisphere or digital space we we talked earlier on off air about your you're your about to start a phd which is exploring the same thing is that right 
It's exploring. Yeah, I mean, it, funnily enough, it was confirmed today. So I had the um, oh, congrats, yeah, very much. <laughs> so I had the, I had the interview, and what we're looking at um, is at um, Birmingham Royal Conservatoire, and um, my supervisor is Sasha Donjerovic, who taught me directing at Royal Holloway uh, when I was uh, AMA there, and um, and essentially what it is is we're 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 concerned with finding. Uh, plays that could be re-radicalized through the form of digital theater and how that could work. So we're interested not only in the content of the plays and how we can um, sort of resuscitate them or make them radical again. We're also interested in how the digital sphere can uh, in some way uh, get that story out for a mid 21st century audience that couldn't otherwise be achieved in the theatre. So that's what we're interested in exploring. Hmm. Fantastic. It's a, lo- it's a lovely area. I mean, I've done bits and pieces of work looking at this kind of culture in your pocket idea. So, um, yeah. you, know, th- you know, I've always looked at theatre as being something which was, you know, is pre- pre-Roman in its in its conception. And how yes. do you take that idea into Snapchat and, and TikTok and, um, yes. and, 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 and make it non-disposable or rather allow it to be disposable, but with, with potent ideas? I think it's a really interesting area. I think the potent idea thing is the thing because, you know, the the, the technology um, provides a potentially a hugely democratic platform if you don't get into the politics of how they're run. Just just the potential of, um, of, of being able to connect to an audience that you couldn't, you know, possibly have connected to at the time the plays were written. So you yeah. have to say, what were these plays doing for people who engaged in them at the time? In what ways were they nudging conversations about how we live, the way we live, the way we must live, what we do want, what we don't want? So how do you find the aspects of those stories? And through the technology and through the platforms and through the way that they're interacted with, how do you make those plays again part of the conversation and part of the fabric of people's lives in a way that maybe they haven't been um, for a good while? Wow. Sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm looking forward to... Um, well, I hope I to, can to, fulfill it. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. of course you will. Um, so, okay, so uh, the, the clock is ticking and um, uh, and our ears are, are burning. So I'm, I'm thinking, so is everyone else's. So I'm thinking uh, in a minute, I want to come on to our soon-to-be legendary quickfire questions. But before I do that, I wanted to just ask you where people can go to find out more about you and your work and these various projects. So you feel free to rattle off a list of URLs and, and handles. Thank you. Um, so it's at Dan Horrigan Pro with the little underscores between the words on Twitter at Dan Horrigan Pro. Um, and it's the same on um, what's the other one that they use that's just the pictures? That, that'd be the Instagrams. That's right. Yes, I can't believe I forgot that. Instagram, actually, actually, which I really like because you get to see a different side of people. Instagram, I'm on Instagram. So you can check out Dan Horrigan Pro on Instagram and on Twitter at Sky of the Bird on Twitter and danhorrigan.co.uk for the website. Okay. And what was the oh, Living Record? We can just Google that, can't we, and find that? And... The Living Record Festival, you can find that very easily. Uh, it's it's been very well reviewed, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of positive noise online about it. Great. Okay, so I have ten quick fire questions for you. Um, n- no right, no right or wrong answers. Um, ready? Yep. Okay. Favorite film? Exterminating Angel. Blur or Oasis? Blur. 
Cherry Coke or regular Coke? Neither. Can't drink Coke. There you go. Uh, most memorable life experience? Probably it would be the birth. Yeah, definitely the birth of my baby, Anthony. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I could ever. That was amazing. That's always pretty high up the list, isn't it? Yes. Um, in five years' time, um, where would you be? What would you be? In five years' time, I don't know. I, I hope that I hope that I will still be with my family. I hope I will still be writing, and I hope that I will have a PhD. But who really knows, given the state of things? The state of the universe. Um, best advice you were ever given? Be confident. True and simple. Uh, what did you think you were going to be when you were 10 years old? I thought I was going to be a fireman or an astronaut. I thought I was going to be in the Navy. I couldn't be more wrong, really. Uh, I think you would who, be very good at the Navy, Dan. You would have been excellent. think? Can you see yeah, me in, sure. my sa- in my sailor's hat? <laughs> um, okay, where are we? <laughs> That's a horrible thought, isn't it? Who would you most like to work with? I would most like to work with, gosh, I mean, oh, there are so many people who I really, really respect. Um, I would most like to work with, I'm just going to say it, David Lynch. Great. Uh, one book, song, or film that you wished you had written? A book that I wished I had written. Mm. Or a song, or a film. Um, a film I wish I... I mm. So how about a book? It would be... Um, there's, there was this book I read years ago called Pilgrim, which I can't mm-hmm. find more which was just the most amazing novel i don't know if it's still in print but it was called pilgrim i can't even remember the name of the writer now but that is the lost book and i i, I uh-huh. sometimes think because i can't find that book i might one day accidentally end up writing it so um, <laughs> pilgrim pilgrim would be the book uh incredible story uh a film i'm just gonna say blade runner i wish i had written yeah. blade runner because it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful film, and so is the sequel. You know, mm-hmm. I, like, I like both of them. I don't know many other people who do, but I love both of those films. I'm so glad that they're here. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in terms of a song, I'm going to say, I wish I'd written Happy Birthday by Stevie Wonder, because that is a banker. I'd be, absolute, <laughs> I'd be absolutely made. I'd be able to write as much as I like without having to worry about anything else, because I'd written Happy Birthday. And it's such a lovely song. Yeah, true. And very last question, one piece of advice for other writers. Don't give up. Think well of yourself while you're doing it. Fantastic. Dan Horrigan, it's been so lovely to chat to you. Oh, thanks, um, Dan. And to listen to the work. And um, thanks for joining us. And good luck with all your amazing projects. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's a lovely podcast. Thank you. Thank you.